0: I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice, to provide a nuanced, honest, and educational examination of systemic racism. I am so excited today to start diving more into the education side of anti-racism. I have here, <clears throat> excuse me, Archa Srivasta, who is a um, award-winning author, which we're gonna talk about later on, and a diverse children's literature expert. And um, in our in our pre-talk before we even interviewed, she already like blew my mind and changed my perspective about so many things. So uh, Archa, thank you so much for Agreeing to chat with me today and for for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Jill. I'm so excited to be here and so excited to talk about all things children literature, which I love so much.
0: I love it. It's so inspiring to see somebody who gets lit up by what they do professionally. Um, so, for for anyone listening on the podcast, uh, she's got a big smile on her face right now. <laughs> She's very excited. Um, Okay, so I want to start first just by asking you a question I like to ask people, what does anti-racism mean to you? And there's no right or wrong answer to this, but I would love hearing everyone's perspectives.
1: That's a great question and such an important question for all of us to be answering for ourselves uh, right now and always. Um, I think for me anti-racism first of all means doing the internal work of knowing how and where I uphold systems of racism, which we all do because we live in a society founded on white supremacy and systems that perpetuate it. And so either we are blindly supporting that or actively dismantling it. Um, And I think for many of us who've had various sorts of privilege in our life, myself included, there has been a long part of my life where I was completely unaware that those systems existed. And um, so my first and foremost work is learning from people of color, specifically from Black people, how and where those systems come into play and why it's so important to dismantle them and then following their lead in doing that work.
0: Wonderful, thank you. That's a great perspective. I think, you know, there's there's internal and external and they work together, but um, I think that without the internal work, you end up recreating a lot of the system. Definitely. Mantle. That's that's great. So, t- can you just give us a little bit of your background? How you what how you got to be doing what you're doing now? Um, how you got to be a diverse children's literature expert, and then what that actually entails for you day to day, but also like bigger picture. What what's your what's your mission with that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I started my professional Career as a classroom teacher. And um, I don't think I knew what I was getting into when I decided, as you know, a 17 year old, that I was going to major as, edu- as in education in college. Um, I always think it's really funny that we have to make big life choices like that when <laughs> we're in high school. <laughs> um, but I quickly discovered that I had no idea what teaching was, as most people don't when they're on the other side of the desk, so to speak, the metaphorical desk. And, um, but I, I fell in love with it. And I actually think that was kind of where my sense of um, activism and leaning into social justice and learning and discovering that world took root in, in the classroom because the education education system in this country is where a lot of inequity is really deeply rooted. And so I uh, fell in love with teaching, I realized that it's this really rich, complex world filled with so many people who are working so hard to change what needs to be changed. And um, in that process, I was taking a class in college around diverse children's literature and or it was actually just a children's literature classes kind of this um, methods classes they're called teaching you all the ins and outs of teaching and I was a voracious reader as a child I read everything I could get my hands on and basically everything I read was about a white person and even if it maybe wasn't it was still by a white person mm-hmm. and the first time I ever put my hands on a picture book that was about a South Asian child, about an Indian child specifically, by an Indian author, was when I was a 20-year-old in college, and I remember reading this picture book, it's called Monsoon Afternoon, by an Indian-American author named Kashmir Ashit, and I was so moved, and I was like, this is insane, that as a 20-year-old, this picture book is having this deep, profound impact on me. And that is kind of what planted the seeds of really making sure that my students also had to, that experience to see themselves in their classroom. That's so important. It's a place where they spend so much of their time. It's a place where you build up so much of your identity and hopefully a place where your identity is reaffirmed for you. But unfortunately for many children of color, that's not the case for them in the classroom. And so that's where the interest started but classrooms are bustling places and teachers have 50 million things on their plates. so i don't think i fully dove into the world of children's literature i just tried to bring in whatever i could access so that my children could see that my students could see that Um, and then i decided to leave the classroom after about seven years of teaching and i actually didn't know where i was going to land next or what i was going to do but I felt this call towards something more in the creative field and writing is something that I've always enjoyed. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll start writing for children and I'll become a children's book author, Um, but I didn't really know exactly how to get on that path. So I just kind of opened myself up to what was out there um, and ended up doing a lot of work with different companies that work with children's books. So I worked for a company that does a diverse children's book box subscription and was their content director. So I curated all the books that they sent out. I consulted with kind of some indie publishing companies that publish diverse books. And yeah, that kind of led me knee deep into the world of children's literature. And looking at everything that's being published, reading it with this critical eye, learning how there's so much activism that has been happening and continues to happen in the world of publishing. And I fell in love.
0: I love that. Okay, so let's, okay, we'll talk about the other things, but you you just recently won a very big book award. And so I feel like we should just talk about that and and celebrate you for a moment. Can you tell us more about the book and the award and what that's meant for
1: you and Definitely, yes. I am so excited about this. So this is one of the books I wrote and for people listening, it's called We Are Little Feminists' Families. It's a board book. It's part of a series and so this one is all about families. It's a photo board book that essentially showcases a lot of different diverse families, um, kind of broadening the heteronormative definition of gender yeah. and sexuality um but without necessarily explicitly labeling but using using the power of visuals it's a board books are meant for babies and toddlers and so it's meant to be this kind of introductory uh view of what the world is because the world is that rich and beautiful and vast and diverse And so this book was just this past week awarded what's called the American Library Association Stonewall Literature Award. And it's an award given to books that really show LGBTQ plus themes really well. And um, this is the first board book that's ever been awarded this award. Usually they'll award it to picture books and young adult books. So I feel so honored. Um, Sometimes board books are kind of dismissed a little bit in the world of uh, children's publishing. So it feels like this really deep honor that this literal little baby book (laughs) won this really amazing honor. And there's some other really great and really well-known books that have won this award. Um, A popular one is called Julian is a Mermaid. That's a really well-known picture book that has won this award. So I feel really honored to be in the same category as that book, but also to know that it's just so important from day one to let children see themselves outside of boxes and binaries and think of themselves in more expansive ways.
0: I love that. Congratulations. That's really, really exciting. Um, Thank you. It's, it's, uh, it's very, I, I mean, let's talk about the white gaze a little bit because I feel like... And, and, and for anyone, <laughs> anyone listening, it's G A Z E white gaze. Um, do you want to talk a little <laughs> bit about that, or, or and how it specifically it's represented in literature? Um,
1: yeah, definitely. I think that um, that's that's actually something that you know. Before the call, you and I were talking about kind of some really well-known authors or some classics in literature that kind of have stuck around for a really long time. And um, those in their day maybe were really ahead of their time in terms of showing diversity or showing children of color in picture books, but oftentimes those books are written by white people. Um, and that was much more common, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. And there's this really huge movement in children's literature, in literature at large, um, called own voices. Mm-hmm. And it essentially means that you're telling stories that come from your own direct experiences. And that what one of the really big things that started happening in the past 10-ish years is as diversity, and I'm saying that in air quotes here, um, became more marketable. Publishers started kind of putting these kids of color onto their covers, and a white author that they would have come write a story for them, they would essentially say, okay, well, let's just make this kid blank. Like, let's make them black. Let's make them vaguely Asian in some generic way um, to get to say, look, here's a diverse book you can read with your child. And that's obviously problematic in a lot of ways, (laughs) starting with, you know, just the fact that they're trying to sell a book. And so they're doing that. And then going into the nuances of, well, what does that white person know about this experience of living in this skin? they don't know about that experience and because they've never had that lived experience how can they write a book that can actually affirm the identity of those people who live like that every single day of their lives um so that's kind of what for children's literature that's that was one of the big pushes in own voices is that and for people who are from marginalized identities, like I said, when I had that experience as a 20 year old and it was so powerful and so moving for me because I knew that this woman connected, this author, this Indian author connected with my lived experiences. And I read plenty of middle grade novels and as a middle schooler about some like South Asian character filled with all sorts of stereotypes written by white authors. And I just took what I could get at that point because I was like, great, I'm just reading whatever is available to me. I'll take this. And it was just, it's just a world of difference that um, you don't really know, unless that's your identity and that's your experience, because that's when you can see the nuances in it. And that's when you feel seen.
0: Yeah. And that's so important. I think the, the white gaze, like broader picture, for anyone listening who hasn't heard that term, it's kind of like the way the world that is set up to keep white people in power. The way that white people see the world is always in mm-hmm. context of whiteness. What's normal is white, so it's going to be assumed to be a predominantly white college unless it's specifically a historically black college. Or mm-hmm. um, you know, hair care is white unless it's ethnic hair care or ethnic food or something like that. And so that way, that blanketed way, so white people go through the world seeing their own identities affirmed all the time as right. normal, quote unquote normal. And then people who aren't white go through the world, not seeing images of themselves or products or, or culture represented in themselves. You, am I saying that? Okay. Would you, would you anything you want to add? Yeah.
1: To, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a really good, bigger picture context for what we're talking about. And I think that also brings up in literature, there's also people who are doing this work to really bring these own voices, stories to the forefront, who also have been saying, especially some librarians around this category even of diverse children's literature is problematic because it operates from the white gaze from saying, well, all the stories about white children are just children's literature. Oh, sure. But yeah. then everything that's about, you know, any marginalized identity outside of the white, cisgender, heteronormative standard is diverse, right? Mm-hmm. And so even in that, and I use the phrase a lot just because, unfortunately, have you know that is the norm and so I, I'm trying to find a way to make a distinction but I completely see why even that is operating from the white gaze that you just defined so well for us Jill that yeah. it's it's yeah this is the exception to the norm of what is published
0: diverse from what yeah I remember there was a um, right after the 2016 election there that uh, that artist who did that really um, cool like abstract picture of Obama where he's kind of like looking it's like maybe red and blue and white or something. And he did one of a bunch of different women from different backgrounds. And I remember 20, the, the, the 2016 election for me was my big reckoning in terms of really, really addressing my own privilege. Um, and until that point, I was pretty much <laughs> propagating a bunch of ignorance, I think. <laughs> but I remember looking at all those pictures and the idea was like, post which one you identify with or something. And I remember thinking, hmm, I don't identify with any of those, <clears throat> and then realizing that's the whole freaking point, you know, right. like they are not white women. They are not like the, the quote unquote norm. Um, and it was, that was like a, a moment for me where I realized like, this is what it's like to not be white every single day, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, I, 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 now I can't actually speak for that experience, but, but to have that experience, I'm always in the minority as someone with white skin here in this country. Um, regardless of what my background is, and to have that experience, I think isn't, it's important for people to see that and understand that what whiteness and the white gaze do to other people, um, who are not white. So, um, I think this, this work that you're doing in literature is, is incredible. And yeah, it's one thing to have a book about black people written by white people. That, that may have like, like you're saying 20 years ago that was seen as progressive, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: not, not anymore. What are some of the, what are some of the um, like standards that you apply when you're when you're looking at books? What are some of the things that you look at and like maybe that you could if you can recommend to parents or people who are buying or teachers who might be listening who are wanting to choose literature for, for
1: children?-hmm yeah. That's a great question because there are hundreds of children's books that are being published um, every year. I think my first question is always who's telling the story and so coming back to that own voices um, sort of perspective of whose story is being told by who is a really important question and People live in intersectional identities, you know, so stories, it, it can become kind of tricky, it can become nuanced that maybe a South Asian person is writing a story about a South Asian character, but like that character, is that character Muslim and is the author Muslim? You know, there's there's so many intersections of identities that exist, so there's not one verification or certification or checkbox that you're like, okay, great. I matched these two things. So the story must be the ultimate truth or something, Sorry. right? <laughs> uh, so that's kind of avoid. I, I wanted to ask that question, but for, you know, you want to avoid the pitfall of just grouping everyone as grouping an author as the representative of their entire um group of people, right? They they don't represent that entire group. And I can
0: um, that Like an a, a African-American Black author writing about like the immigrant Black experience.
1: Like, is that a parallel also? Like someone who's... Right. There's just so from... many nuances. Exactly. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. there's so many nuances to identity. Race is really just one piece of it. And even within that, it's, it's really complex, right? Yeah. Um, but... Still, that's maybe something you at a higher level, there's still so many books being written by white people about people of color, so I try to actively avoid those. Yeah. Um, that's That's my first rule of them. and and some people really do their homework and try to write those as well as they can, as in like avoiding stereotypes and things like that. But even then, I don't think that those people need more of a platform than they already have. Because just like every other system in this country, publishing is really racist and gatekept by white people. And it's really hard to get a platform in publishing as a person of color. And so that's another reason that I really just try to support uh, authors of color, illustrators of color. Um, and that doesn't even get into further marginalized identities like LGBTQ plus authors, disabled authors, and illustrators. Like, that is an even smaller percentage of uh, those people getting published. And of course, that intersects with race in multiple ways, too. So. Yeah, But yeah, it's so important just to know. And and that requires research, that requires homework. To find that out, you can't just pick up a book and know sometimes there might be a photo, but again, you might kind of be making some assumptions. So unfortunately, there's no one way to tell. Luckily, there's tons of people who are um, creating blogs, Instagram accounts, entire publishing houses around telling these types of stories. And so following them is a really great way to, to kind of use their research to help inform you. And some that I like personally, there is um, an Instagram account called Here We Read, we with two E's, W-E-E, um, that is run by a black woman. Um, and she recommends tons of amazing books on her Instagram account. There is a blog called Books for Littles. Um, and I've worked with Asia Ray. She runs that blog, and she is an extremely informed, intelligent person who brings this really nuanced view into children's books and really helps for for the perspective of parents um, from that point of view of how can you read these books with your children in a way that's really radical and not just oh look here's some brown kids let's read about them sure yeah yeah um and then a publishing house that i've worked with a lot a small indie publishing house and there's there's many but one that is my personal Favorite is called Mango and Marigold Press, and they specifically, um, it's run by a South Asian woman, uh, Sailaja Joshi, and she specifically publishes stories from the South Asian diaspora. And so there's a lot of amazing work like that being done, and so kind of following that work, tr- tuning yourself to that if you are a parent, caretaker, and educator um, to help really kind of we wade through the hundreds of books that are published because sure. it's not that's, easy to tell.
0: That's so helpful. What are your thoughts on, cause I know like a lot of stories, like I'm thinking about Hollywood and like movies in Hollywood and the black characters are going to be about being black. They're mm-hmm. not just going to be like a black, a pharmacist who happens to be black or a doctor, you know, it's like, it's like if they're going to be black, there's going to be a, like a bigger message being conveyed whether that's positive or negative. Um, what are your thoughts on like books that just show people of different of non-white ethnicities just being themselves and not necessarily mm-hmm. have it about specifically that ethnicity and, and the importance of that?
1: Yeah that is extremely important and um, well I want to name first that you know, in the larger context of this conversation, and even in my personal expertise around diverse children's literature, is that I have learned so much um, around diverse children's literature from the work of Black people who've been working in this field for so long. So actually, like, so this is not, even though it's new to the consciousness of many privileged Americans, many white Americans, This is something that black people specifically, but many marginalized people have been pushing for, for decades. And um, Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop, she uh, is a professor in Ohio. I can't remember the exact college right now, but she is kind of seen as this pioneer in really pushing this work of diverse children's literature. And so she categorizes books into Um, different categories and one of and she says a book can be a window and so for someone who's reading about an experience that's not their own and they see that in a book it provides them a view into something outside of their own life and that type of book is really important because we need to see the world outside of our own lived experiences as well Um, and then a book can also be a mirror and so that means that book is reflecting back your lived experience to you, and that type of book is really important for people from marginalized identities. It's important for every child, but like we mentioned, white children are given hundreds of opportunities to see themselves, um, and other children are not, and so, um, and that, again, like, able-bodied people are given hundreds of opportunities to see themselves, and disabled people are not, and so so on and so forth, right? and so that is a really important um, type of book to create. And so when you bring up this idea of books that are kind of only talking about black people in a historical context, for example, or only biographies of um, like athletes or something like that, right? or uh, people who were enslaved, that is that is kind of just perpetuating, this box that that and that kind of comes back to our conversation around the white gaze right that this is how white people see this group or this category and so that's the story they value to tell about those people right and there again there's being so much important work done to create more books that are really these authentic mirrors for children and there's so many amazing amazing Black authors, Black illustrators who have written so many amazing books in the past, even just year, but five years, 10 years that really create this authentic mirror experience of every story it does not need to be a historical account of mm-hmm. um, Black people's experience in America or really for any group, you know, any doesn't have to just be historical. It doesn't just have to be about like every book about the Latinx experience doesn't have to be about immigration or things like that, right? Um, so-
0: It humanizes people. If, it, if, if
1: and it, and it makes makes them like,
0: like as if those problems aren't continuing, I guess, but also just like you are only important to learn about because of your role in this immigration thing or in
1: mm-hmm.
0: civil rights, but you as a person otherwise don't hold value, right? Right. Um, which is not really a message we want to be sending.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah, and it's really kind of, especially when it comes to books around civil rights, which are really popular in a lot of classrooms, especially in a school context, that it really comes from this place of wanting to show this post-racial America of mm-hmm. That was a problem. And then here is my biography about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that I'm going to read you. And he solved this problem. And, you know, it's so not only is it kind of trying to my create this colorblind lens, yeah, and whitewash, it's also really limiting the narrative of who and what marginalized groups have. Um, contributed to this country and how they've built it and and continue to
0: to do so Mm -hmm. in their day-to-day existence right Right. um um, you talked a little bit about um about uh when we we were on the phone before this interview um the own voices movement and how how writing a book about a different race is almost like literary blackface i think Mm -hmm. um can you talk a little bit about that because that's i think something that People will be
1: like,
0: oh, I get it now. I get why.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. so essentially when you are able to, and so I, you know, I'm not an expert on anyone's lived identity except my own, right? And when I see those books, like that, maybe someone from outside that experience wrote, I actually cannot easily catch what's wrong if it's not my lived experience, right? Um, And maybe with a lot of training and research and nuance, I would be able to. And so that's kind of one of the reasons that, one, listen to the people whose lived experience those are, who are pointing out that no, this is not okay, like don't just make this child's X color, right? And so there was, I, I can't remember the name, I don't try to mentally catalog, catalog these book title names, but there was this simple board book that I had read, and board books, like the one I have written that I've showed, are actually, it's really hard to find own voices board books, um, and so I was looking for some and sometimes I just kind of go off of the cover to say oh is there an opportunity for something richer here and it appeared to have um, an east asian looking um, parent and child on the cover so um, I'm kind of like reading through it to be like okay cool so what is this about and it it was written by a white person and it's kind of just you know, that story could have been about, I should. I don't want to say it could have been about any race, but it clearly was written as if it was a white person and after the fact pasted on like, okay, let's make them diverse because there was nothing about it that was, oh, okay, this is coming from that person's perspective. And something as small as when it shows them, um, and this was pointed out to me by, Um, someone who identifies as East Asian, and they were like, oh, you know, this small thing that when they go into their home, they're wearing their shoes inside their house, and that's culturally, really unusual and not common for East Asian cultures. Like, usually you don't wear your shoes that you're wearing outside in your home. You might wear some house slippers or something like that, right? And so it's this really small nuance that probably would not catch if it was not your own lived experience and that's why it's so important to listen to the people whose lived experience that is and and it feels as someone who has who never had the opportunity to see herself in books as a child you know it feels almost violating in a way to be like okay you're using me my identity to sell your book but there's not actually any you didn't even make an effort <laughs> to try to make it, you know, like, forget the fact that that's not your identity. Uh, but it's like, did you even really try here to ask, um, you know, is this something that you would see in your house or something like that, you know? Yeah. And so I, uh, No, I'm sorry,
0: I didn't mean to cut you off, finish your...
1: Yeah, no, so I was just saying that kind of going back to what you're saying around this literary Blackface is, from my understanding of when Blackface was used in minstrel shows and things like that, it was meant to really portray this character of Black people uh, by white people, right? And it was meant to reinforce that power structure of seeing Black people in this really reductive, harmful, mm-hmm. fatal stereotypes. Um, and while, and you know, there's so much to unpack here because it's, you know, that often would be like, well, that's not my intention. I wasn't trying to do anything harmful or blah, 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 right? And it's, it's like, okay, well, your intention might or might not be the same, but the impact is that there are so many stereotypes that are anywhere from harmful to fatal to so many minority groups, especially Black people in this country, that it's not okay for those to be intentionally, unintentionally perpetuated or continued in any way.
0: Thank you for that. That gives that a lot of um, really nuanced uh, perspective there. Do you, um, so I had asked you, okay, so like standards to look for. So you were saying like, who's telling the story, keeping in mind intersectionality. Um, and then we kind of talked more. Are there other, like, like when, I guess that's what's so tricky is like, how am I, if I'm gonna, if I want to seek out books written by, about black people, just as, mm-hmm. as human beings, not necessarily a historical book, but as just characters in a book, how am I going to know the nuances of portraying it inaccurately and mm-hmm. um, and and potentially in a harmful way if I'm not doing the research by the author? But are there other th- other like red flags that you look for? I guess. Right. Um. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I
1: don't. I don't think that there's necessarily a list. I think this actually. But that's a great question because it feeds into this bigger idea that we started our whole conversation with. With which is what is anti-racist work, right? And reading children's books is not, you know, like that's not the solution to racism in this country at all. Um, Or even just publishing more diverse books is not also not the solution to racism. But it is, you know, it is part of the work of unpacking so many assumptions we hold and so many systems we uphold is to really be critical of the media we're consuming at all levels for ourselves, if we have children under our care for them, um, and having that conversation openly with them around let's together build this critical lens around the media we're consuming, not like I'm just gonna do all the work for you and then just hand it to you because they need to, they're going to see so much you know, you might be trying to filter, okay, I'm only gonna give you the really authentic stuff, but inevitably they're gonna see it all um, because that's what we're surrounded with, right? This really white gaze centered media. And so I think that part of the process for adults is definitely how are you broadening your awareness of these issues in society at large? How are you making yourself more sensitive to the fact, especially if you're a white person, to the fact that your privilege causes so much harm, has created so many and supported so many structures that depend on the subjugation of other people, right? All, all of those things. How are you making yourself more aware of that, Um because that general lens is what will make you more aware of it in the media that you're consuming, right? And so I don't think that there's, you know, one checklist or one answer. But even for me in my work of trying to understand what authentic diversity, again, in air quotes, because I don't have a better word for it right now, children's literature is, it requires a lot of that work. And for a lot of that, that work is listen to the most marginalized people who are telling you how this impacts them how these systems that we live in impact them and what needs to be done about it and that is first and foremost for me um black people especially queer trans black women or queer trans women who identify as black well as well right so these gender oppressed people as well, are like the forefront of who is saying like, these are how these systems are impacting us in these intersectional nuanced ways. And they have been doing the work for centuries of dismantling them and surviving within them. So I think that it's just really important if that's not your lived experience to listen and learn. And that's what a lot of this process has been for me um, as well of how do I understand, um, be even beginning to unpack some of the stuff that comes up in something as seemingly innocent as a children's book.
0: I love that answer because A, like (laughs) white supremacy culture in me wants to like have nice little takeaways for you to give to the people listening to myself. And I asked a similar question to uh, Melissa Shaw who actually connected me with you about like how because we were talking about cultural appropriation and the yoga space and meditation Mm -hmm. space and oh I'm so I love this I love like when I'm just (laughs) like okay whiteness you know but but she I asked her like how can what's a way for people to know if who they're following is if that person's perpetuating harm you know and Mm -hmm. and 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 appropriation because it it can be so normalized that we can mm-hmm. it if we're not like really critically looking at it. And she she was in the most lovely way saying like, I can't give you an answer to that question. The, the, the real question is, and I'm paraphrasing now cause I didn't expect you to, to answer in this way. And I didn't even mm-hmm. know I was gonna ask you this question, but um, the real question is what is attracting you to that person? Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. in your whiteness is identifying with what in their whiteness or maybe not whiteness, but that is making you attracted to them. And that's what needs to be worked on. So I think very similarly, you're saying, if if I can sort of like summarize or or sum up um, that like, it's not about like, can I have a checklist of all my little children, like Mm -hmm. characteristics of my children's books and I can feel good about myself for giving my children woke books. But, But it's like examining the larger picture and listening and learning from other lived experiences and then that will maybe more naturally reflect into the media that you consume is that
1: right definitely and and i think another and kind of i kind of already said this but i just think it's so important to reiterate is that there's so much momentum right now around this diverse children's literature movement and so you'll see hundreds of Instagram accounts, blogs, even really big publishers kind of pushing out all these things that they're like, this is diverse. We can tell you like what these great books are and here's our list and listen to us. And in that, I think it's really important even in that to have that critical nuanced lens of who do you consider the expert here? You know, and always always it should be the people of color in that space right and there are so many nuances within that as well like we were kind of mentioning earlier but i follow this really great account on instagram called no white saviors oh, I've- um yeah and so everyone should follow them if they do not and they recently posted something about the book white fragility by Robin D'Angelo, who is a white woman who wrote this book. And they made this really important point that, you know, this white person who is now profiting greatly off of a book she wrote about white fragility is not teaching people something new. She didn't discover or uncover white fragility. She learned about these concepts from people of color and is now teaching them to white people. And, you know, there's a lot of nuances in the fact that she's profiting off of it and all of that. Right. And so the takeaway there is that no have that ability to say, okay, I need to find out who is sharing this information with me and who by default I gravitate towards even in that, right? Like, why am I trusting this white person's list or company or product over um, a person of color? Or why is that easier to find than, um, than a person of color? And so I think that that's really important in this time when diversity is marketable. And people are marketing it, and a lot of white people are marketing it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, who, who are you, who are you buying from? Who are you consuming for? Who are you supporting? Who are you amplifying? It's really important.
0: It's So the Robin and Dan, the Angela thing is very interesting, because I think, I think a lot of white people assume that she's Black before they actually, mm-hmm. like, they, they assume that a book with that content is not mm-hmm. written by a white person I, I did I, I didn't realize she was white when I had first heard about it but then I also see her writing forwards and and like being quoted within books by Leila Saad and by Resmaa Menekum and mm-hmm. and and so I like I struggle with is she a white person who's saying the stuff that needs to be heard by white people and might be heard better from someone white versus like, and, and a, in a contribution, like what could she do better? I guess, because mm-hmm. I, I, I'm hearing everything and I'm wanting to learn and right. I've, I've heard some things that she doesn't actually donate the money that she says she does that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. but I'm curious and, and, and your, your thoughts on that because
1: yeah, that's, that's doesn't
0: a- include the black perspective at all. It's, mm-hmm. Right, only the white perspective.
1: Yeah. So I, in disclosure, I have not read her book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I have. So I read this post about her book. Right. So um, no white saviors. This is this for people who don't know. They're a group of Ugandan activists uh, based in Uganda who essentially talk about the white savior complex and how, um, and which is very prevalent in the African continent around missionary work, et cetera, et cetera, but obviously is a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, they unpack that in many ways.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Yeah, and so in their post, which is my source of information on what is problematic about her work, yeah. they made the really good point that she is profiting off of this work right? And that is the underlying problem here, is that she's created a business of sorts. Um, she's marketing her work. She's making money off of it. But not only that, after the after George, George Floyd was murdered last summer, the sales of her book, according to them, or according to their research, uh, increased two thousand two hundred percent wow right and so that's mind-blowing the amount of sales this book is getting so one that was the first point that you are making a lot of money off of this book should you even be making any sort of personal profit past maybe like the cost of production on -hmm. this book two there are she learned this, they, they brought up this really great point. She, yeah. she did not, this is not her original thinking. This is not some creative idea that she's introducing to the world and offering a brand new perspective. Sure. So there's many Black people who have written books about the same thing, gotcha. right? Yeah. And so they bring up the example of me and white supremacy, which you're right, she does write the forward of that. Um, and then also they bring up the Let's Talk About Race book, which are both written by Black women right and so it's now like in the world of marketing in the world of publishing is now a competition like these books when you write books in the same genre that's what you're marketing your book against essentially right yeah um and then and so I think that she she does have a platform that she had, like the, her book was published previous to those two books that I mentioned, right? And so she had a platform um, that maybe these lesser known people at that point before they published their books didn't. And so she used that platform to, by writing the forward for Leila Assad, for example, to elevate that person's work yeah. and that's good. She should do that if that person is asking that of her. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I think that there's a lot of nuances that come in there essentially just about the sheer amount of money that she's making around it. And they also mentioned the same thing that you also have heard, that there's not a lot of transparency around how and where she's spending that money or donating that money. Um, And then they also brought up some points around when she's been in conversation with Black women on... Panels and different things like that. She seems to be very dismissive of that, oh, okay. um, and so they brought up some examples of things like that, um, which I think that their larger context of what they were saying is, you know, this. Idea, there's there's one you know at a personal level at an interpersonal level, mm-hmm. yes, white people need to be doing the work with white people of unpacking their white supremacy, 110%. That is their work to do and they need to be doing that work. But then it comes into this other space when you're billing yourself as an expert in this, over the voices of black people, specifically black women, and then you're making money off of it. Um, Yeah. And the thing is that, And I see parallels to this in the children's literature space Mm -hmm. that maybe that's not those people's intention. Like maybe she did not go into the space being like, I'm going to talk over all these black women and make the best book, right? Maybe she didn't come into it like that. And similarly people might have gone into the children's white people might be coming into the children's literature space being like yeah i I realized finally that this is a problem and it's not even something i realized and now i'm awake and aware of it so i want to do something about it and so this is me doing something about it and that's where again like that nuance comes in where it's like okay you're doing something about it but And it kind of comes right back to that white savior conversation we're having. Like, do you think that you are the one to solve this problem that in many ways, like you as in like whiteness has created? Yeah. Um, And how exactly do you see yourself in that? Right? And Which is, there are problems that you as a white person do need to solve, but like, are you solving the problem for people of color or, you know, it's, it's becomes really nuanced there. Right. And it's really slippery slope for white people. I mean, there's a lot of slippery slopes in whiteness. So. Right. Yeah. And thank you for that. Cause
0: I, you know, I've, I think if, if, at the beginning it was like, she was this, like, yeah, at the beginning of like this, the summer stuff, the stuff that happened this mm-hmm. summer, it was like, she's got this amazing reputation mm-hmm. and he's like, interviewed in all these things and quoted in all these books and now there's more light being shed on it and um it's hard to find like i've i've actively tried to google critiques of her work other than she says that all white people are racist etc cetera, etc cetera, which you know i that's not exactly what she's saying in the, in the way that they're interpreting it but i mm-hmm. i but it's been very hard to actually find these things Mm -hmm. written down and, and, and discuss. So I'm really excited to go read this post. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll, um, put that Instagram, uh, handle in here in, uh, the show notes, um, for no white saviors, but, um, so thank you for that. And it really does parallel, I think, a lot with the children's literature world as, as you're Mm -hmm. saying, um, maybe with less of a loud, a loud, vocalness about the, about the platform, but it's, it's, um,
1: right. Yeah. And I I think that there, the thing that is kind of this catch 22 in this white supremacist capitalist system that we live in is that white people are always going to get the platform with the most ease. Right. Mm. And so The person who it's easiest to find to google to come across in your bookstore instagram feed blah 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 is going to probably be a white person like that's just how it is and so that goes back to what we're saying is like it's not an easy answer it's not like it requires a lot of layers of nuance to be like oh i didn't even realize that like i just After I listened to this podcast, I went and searched for, like, hashtags to follow on Instagram because I want to know more about diverse children's books. And, like, I didn't realize that everyone I started following is a white person talking about diverse children's books. Like, um, that's kind of, you know, it requires layers and layers and layers of work. And I mean, and that's not even the work of who you're following on Instagram, you know, (laughs) but just... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Right. The, the microcosm it's like or it's like the tip
0: of the iceberg or, or you know it, it, it right. exemplifies the complexity of digging yeah through the
1: days I guess right yeah and so it feels definitely sometimes it just feels challenging and overwhelming in many ways and I think what is comforting to me um, what is inspirational to me is knowing that So many people of color have been doing this work, this specific work of diverse children's literature for so long and have continued to create such important, amazing changes and books in that. And at large, you know, this work of becoming anti-racist increasingly and dismantling white supremacy is also work that people have been doing for so long. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Well, I feel like this just flew by all of a sudden it's (laughs) past time and I respect your your time. I would love it if you could tell uh, anyone listening, like how, A, are you on Amazon? Are you, I know Amazon's bad, but it also (laughs) makes a lot of things available that wouldn't ordinarily be. So where can people find your book? How can they follow
1: you? How can they like learn from Uh,
0: and get all those things?
1: Of course. Yeah. So I, for, for my book, which I would love for you all to buy, especially if you have any littles in your life, it's the perfect book for them. Um, It is on Amazon. If um, that is the route that you mostly buy things, I strongly encourage you to, um, if you can financially afford to do so, buy it from the publisher's website, which is littlefeminist.com. And also, please encourage your local libraries to get a copy if you're a library patron. I love the library, so more people can read the book or you yourself can check it out from there um, and your local bookstore as well. Those are all places. We'd love, love to see this book. I'd love to see this book, so please do all of that. Um, and Also, you can follow me personally on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Archa Reads. Um, I think Jill maybe you can include that in the Awesome Angela will attach that into the little description and um P-R-C-H-A-A
0: yeah, read. Yes, yes. So for anyone who doesn't want to read the show notes, it's there's two A's at the end there.
1: Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, i love, love to chat with you all in the world of social media.
0: Ah, uh, wonderful. Thank you so much. This was so incredible. Um I learned so much. And I think this is just a um so I mean, even in my own family, I was, we were talking beforehand, like my partner had bought a bunch of books for his kids recommended by one of his kids, teachers, who's black. And so he bought the books, like all excited. And it's his author, who's a white woman who writes about <laughs> black families. And it's like a 20 years old thing. So even when yeah. we're trying to be, it, you know, there's still so much to learn. So this was incredibly informative and mm-hmm. uh, insightful and in all the things. So thanks again, Um, for for joining me today and for sharing your expertise and congratulations again on your
1: award. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here, Jill. Bye. Hi
0: Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, M-D, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D, And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.